Hey, Red Bull Nation and soccer fans all over. This is Matt Harmon, radio broadcaster for the New York Red Bulls. As we all deal with the coronavirus, we're reminded just how much we miss the world of sports and what a welcome distraction it would be in society today. We have the latest edition of our Coaches Show set and ready to air before life changed going into what would have been the third game of the MLS season in Minnesota. Because of everything that happened and continues to, we elected at that time not to put the episode out, but with a hope that things will soon return to normal and everyone could use a little change of pace. We give you the March edition of our Coaches Show featuring head coach Chris Armis and Red Bull 2 head coach John Walenick. Stay safe, stay healthy, and can't wait to be calling goals at RBA again in 2020. This is the New York Red Bulls Radio Network. couple of games into the 34-game regular season of Major League Soccer. Red Bulls with four points through their first two weeks with a 3-2 win over Cincinnati and a 1-1 draw last week at Real Salt Lake. The three-game road trip continues this weekend in Minnesota. And as we like to catch up once a month with Red Bull head coach Chris Armas on our coaches podcast here on the New York Red Bulls Radio Network. Coach, fresh off the training ground. Uh, not only off the training ground, but impressed today. Up on the lift, really getting the bird's eye view of what was taking place down on the training field. Yeah, you know, it's uh, not all the time that I that I go up there, but I do like that perspective up there, especially when when uh, <clears throat> on days like today when we're working on some of our defensive shape and, and you're able to, one, you get to remove yourself a little bit emotionally from, from what's going on there, but you do get to see a little bit more of the spaces between players and between the lines. When you think of it the first two weeks, um, the win over Cincinnati and then last week in Real Salt Lake. The let, Let's start with the good. What have you taken out of those two games from a positive perspective moving forward, looking ahead to Minnesota? Well, I think the, the, the thing that's clear to me and to all of us on the inside is that, you know, in, in both of those games, um, we showed that we're making progress and that we're a team that tactically is together and that uh, even, even, uh, on, on, a, on a day like the game in, in Salt Lake that we stuck together and that we fought for each other and there was a lot of trust going on uh, when, when every guy you know was looking left and right. So I think that that was pretty clear for, for me to see and that's what, what the guys are feeling good about right now that, that we put ourselves in positions to, for six points. Um, we walk away with four and uh, yeah, we suffered through the last one and we actually, you know, we get out with a point in Salt Lake, not an easy place to play. You think of it then from the other side of it, what would be maybe a couple of things that in the process of building up during the course of the early part of the season, after even you had preseason, um, but still maybe figuring a couple things out, where do you feel like your team still needs to improve, get better after the first couple of games of watching them live and in person with points on the line? Yeah, you know, when, when you're in my position, you know, not just being the head coach, but I'm a <clears throat> stickler for the details. So some of the defensive set pieces, you know, too many too many times where we're, we're not getting the first contact on it. And oftentimes it comes down to a will to hunt the ball and maybe a detail of jumping first or uh, just attacking the ball. So in Salt Lake, we, we saw that that was a little bit of an issue. Um 
And I would say that the other one, um, and you can think about the Cincinnati game too, is sometimes the transition. You know, that we have the ball and it's looking like we've put ourselves in a good spot going forward. We, you know, we've, we've gone from defensive to attacking transition and, and like, here we go. It's a moment to score potentially. And then all of a sudden we're in a defensive transition. So we, we call those sometimes unforced errors. And a lot of these plays that fall into a bucket of, you know, we should make this play. So if we if, if there's a play that, you know, we deem we should make that pass, we should make this play, everyone gets into like an offensive posture. You start committing a number and then all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, it's a, it's a we call it a bad giveaway. And now we're going the other way. So I think there was a, a few too many times in, in, for my liking, but um, we have something called 10 for 10 this year, which is uh, if we face 10 of those a game, let's just say, that we want every single guy recovering like it's it's the the last thing they'll ever do, you know, and we want that happening, you know, 10 guys, 10 out of 10 times. So we're seeing that we've been able to put out most of those fires. When you think of it, the three goals, let's say, over the course of the two games that your team has given up, I think it's so easy from a, let's say, fan perspective or layman perspective to just look at the actual goal, the end result. Um, but in today's day and age, with video being so important, there's probably so much more that that you as the coaching staff might see and say, okay, yeah, we gave up the goal and here's what actually happened at that moment. But there's so many other things that led up to it. Could you have won a ball at midfield? Was there something on a communication level before it even got to that point? And that might be what you're speaking to a little bit, um, where, where things could actually be extinguished earlier than leading to a goal chance for the other team. Yeah, look, there, there are a lot of the little details that we talk about. For instance, <clears throat> on the first goal we gave up against Cincinnati, uh, we come out of the locker room and, and we had a pretty good start and for the first call it 45 seconds minute we and then we win a ball and Amro Tarek makes a run up the flank and and then the play doesn't come off it's not a problem their goalkeeper gets it and they just bomb the ball along and we talk a lot about not letting that ball bounce we just don't believe that's the way to deal with that ball so it's it's in the air long enough it's easy to judge we should be able to make that play, meaning make a first contact, and the ball falls behind Sean Davis in front of Tim Parker. So when we look back at that video, we say, hey, guys, what do you think on this play? They say we shouldn't let the ball bounce. Yeah, and then, of course, it's the rest comes. You know, It's a second ball, and we, we lose a bad ball in the middle of the field, and then are the recovery runs fast enough? Can Patrick and, and Tim and Amro recover even faster? You talk about all those little things after that we that we value, 10 for 10, things like this. Um and then you know, if we just fast forward to the Salt Lake goal, yeah, we're under pressure late. It's altitude. We're, we're in suffering mode now. But forget about the cross for a second because there's always going to be some obvious details about the cross. But even before that, we talk about when we're in a deeper block, what success looks like. Is there pressure on the ball? Are we shifting? Are we have, do we have positional discipline? And in the, on that play, there's a few of those details that, that, that don't get executed probably the most obvious one is can we put pressure on the crosser of the ball or do we just jog out there we we talk about winning habits and one of our winning habits is yeah the best way to defend a cross is to block the cross without getting beat or without fouling so yeah these are not after the fact concepts and, and principles this is how we we talk um and yeah in game two of the season they're not quite all there yet 
but this is what we what we work to achieve. So you're looking game one, game two. You don't want to be essentially having this conversation game 24, 25, 26, and on. You probably don't even want to be having a game three and four of the next one coming up. But um, in the early part of the season, mistakes will will essentially be made. It's how you fix them, how you move forward from them. Yeah, you listen, every every day you're going to make mistakes. You're, we're making mistakes along the way. You know, in our building and in our locker room, you know, we we encourage guys to go out there and be aggressive. We encourage guys to be fearless. We don't take a guy off the field when he makes a mistake for the first time. You know, if we're going to make mistakes and we're going to encourage this type of behavior to, to go after games, then we just say, let's make new mistakes, not the same old ones, because then, then you know, we're not teaching and they're not learning. So, um, but I would say that along the way, like as much as I've been part of the game, what hasn't changed and the game has changed and, and we're all evolving, I think. And, and, you know, you can talk about the modern day game. There's things that have not changed. And some of the things that win your games and some of the things that lose your games has not changed in my mind. You know, so whether it's fouling a guy in a box or losing a set piece or just taking a break on a throw in or not recovering on a run right or not being all in with the team these things will always have always cost the teams that i know that's in champions league uh, it's it's in world cup qualifiers that i've been part of and it's been part of whether you're in a staff game in arizona that the same things will cost you so the idea is from day 1 to day 40 or whatever it is or game 40 that you kind of understand what those things look like and uh, that we minimize. We minimize things that lose your games and we can maximize game things that win your games. So a good follow-up to that, and it, it immediately popped into my head, was how does, I'll say Chris Armas, slash the rest of Chris Armas's staff, how do you correct those mistakes that maybe players are making, realizing that some of them come with style of play? Playing aggressive, sometimes you might get caught out of position. Um, how do you get the message through to veteran players down through rookie players. I, I can remember listening to um, my dad, who was a coach for a long time, even my own coaching little ins and outs. You deal with players differently. You can't have the same conversation with, I'll just throw names out, with Tim Parker as opposed to Patrick Segrist. The conversation probably is a little bit different, but how do you get that message across so that guys are really understanding um, the direction that you want things to go? I think it's 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 communication, it's clear communication, it's training, it's education. You know that part of the communication, and then it's it's training it, training the habits, training those tendencies. So you have to identify what that is or whatever we're talking about, and I'll give you an example. But and then you know I think a big part of it is when you when you're giving information to players and then asking them to apply it is to help them have confidence. Because if you have a nervous player, a player that's afraid to make mistakes, that's going to lead to more mistakes. That's what happens. So I think you have to know your players, you have to know your people, and then I think you uh, have to give them confidence to go out there and, and, and try things without being anxious. That's a big part of it. But for instance, like Patrick Segrist, you know, if he's a young player and he's, he's asked, the game is asking a lot of him right now, different than the college game. So one of the things we talk about in defensive transition, like in preseason, he would give up a penalty because he's just kept dropping and dropping and, you know, in a transition moment. 
and then foul in the box. So we've said, listen, you know, we show video and then we'll talk him through it and, and walk him through it. And, you know, in these moments when you're dropping and trying to recover, at some point you have to repress. And, and, and we don't want the striker to get inside the box. Because if he gets you in the box and you foul, it's a penalty. And this, and then against, uh, you know, we saw it in Salt Lake. He had the same scenario, and he got right near the 18, and then he stepped forward and fouled the guy. He fouled him right outside the box. It looks like a bad play on his part, but in, in many ways it was success because he, 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 he took the information and did the right thing to what he thought. He tried to win the ball, but by not winning, if he wasn't going to win it, he fouled outside the box. So I think that there's a lot of scenarios that we spend a lot of time in the classroom. We have a, a video room here, and it's, it's, a, it's a classroom because it's a lot of learning. And then we do try to communicate in it with patience and clarity because we, we remind ourselves, me and the staff, as you asked, you know, that we're only teaching if they are learning. And we think sometimes as coaches, or as parents or whatever it is, that you think that they're getting it just because you almost can feel good about, hey, I showed them and I told them. Yeah, but you have to, you know, how many times have you told them? Are you saying it in clear ways? Are you using video because they're visual learners? And then are you creating training sessions that are very specific to what you're talking about? And then you have to repeat that and you have to repeat that. So I think that's, we, we think that we do a pretty good job with our team, especially a team of young players with a, one of the youngest in the entire league by far. So with young players, yeah, comes, uh, you know, uh, uh, an environment that needs this type of uh, behavior. You've had a couple of injuries that you've had to deal with through the first couple of weeks players working back, Ryan Mara, Aaron Long. Um, I would assume a player like Mandela Egbo a little bit closer, just a signing announced uh, this past week, and Jason Pondon, uh, left back. So the roster is becoming a little bit more complete, makes your job easier in one way because you've got a full complement, more difficult in other ways because getting into the starting 11 and or 18 going to be a challenge for some guys. Yeah, look, it becomes more competitive, and that's what the coaching staff wants. You know, for me, it's reassuring that we've we've uh, looked to add a few pieces right now, and and uh, you know I, what I do think it it what 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 it creates a feeling on the inside that yeah we are strong stronger by additions not only to our you know support staffs of analytics and and strength and conditioning whatever it is it's now to the roster uh, we see that that. Uh, we were adding pieces, so on one level, that's that that's good on the inside to to see that and feel that. On the next part of it, it does start to create a, an internal competition that I speak about that needs to be strong, and and when there's this natural competitiveness uh, between players in in the same position, they're all competitors. All of these guys are competitors, so it pushes them to to be better. It it might be un- uncomfortable at times. But it does push you to be better. There's no, there's no greater motivation for players. The best teams in the world and the, and the best national teams in the world have rosters that are deep and talented and that push each other. So uh, we think we're getting strong. Minnesota coming up this weekend, the second of the three-game road trip. Loons right now off to a pretty good start. They are 2-0. They've had a couple of good wins. Uh, they've been able to score a ton of goals, eight through the first couple of games from them. What kind of game would you expect and anticipate coming on Sunday? 
Well, listen, it's it's a it's a, it's our second game in a row or our third. That's a, a home opener. We had the first of the the three. Now we're playing uh, not only in Salt Lake's home opener, we're playing in, in Minnesota's, and, and and we're excited for that because uh, typically what comes with that is is good energy in the building, lots of people. And we think our guys are, will be up for that. Specifically with Minnesota, they've scored a bunch of goals in transition. So with with uh, you know Molino and and uh, they've added some pieces, Amaria uh, uh, up top, and, and now of course Ethan Finley is always dangerous. Um, but with Metaniri the right back, and with Ethan Finley the right midfielder, we think that their strength is their right side. So we think we have to have a game plan that ad- uh, addresses that. We'll look to you know be controlling spaces on that side of the field, and and we have a game plan that will address that. But if the you know if they're good in transition, you know if teams are good in transition like like Minnesota, we have built-in mechanisms for that. The way we counter press, the way we rest defense, we have you know plus one scenarios that we try to create in the back, and then of course can we be good with the ball up the field and and be mindful of yeah if if a team is very good when you lose the ball can we win can we finish with a lot of shots and things that go over the end line so things plays are restarted with goal kicks and things like that um so yeah we will have a game plan for for minnesota but we can expect a team that's with a lot of confidence and and of course they're good on set pieces which is going to be something we have to address one more before I let you go, and it'll lead us into our second segment here on our coaches show. We'll have John Wallenick uh, come on, head coach, obviously, at New York Red Bull, too. Um, how important is, has he been to this organization? It's his sixth year with the USL side. I know there is such um, synergy between what the first team does, what the second team does. I always think he has a tough job because his roster is, is ever-changing, coming and going. But the relationship maybe that you guys have um, working together and, and really trying to be on the same page with what your team is doing as opposed to what his team's doing. There is synergy. There's communication. There's our offices are right next to each other, essentially. And uh, I think we have a, a, a good working relationship and good uh, personal relationship as well. I've known John for a long time and, um, you know, specifically with the job itself, you know, he's a guy that um, <clears throat> he's a coach that uh, is really you know, in many ways, ideal for, for that position. And he's, he, he, he knows the philosophy and, and of how we play. And, and I think he's a good communicator and he's a smart, smart coach. So he, he's got the knowledge. I think he's got the communication skills uh, to be a good teacher and, and which ends up being really important for, for even younger players, 16, 17, 18 year old uh, players that, that need a lot of nurturing and and he's got a patient voice too. He's got a a, a good a full tank of, of gas in many ways. He's got a lot of patience to work with players, and that's that's good. Look, and, and and it is tough. It is tough sometimes uh, because midweek or towards the end of the week, he he knows that we're we're gonna get a couple of players. It could be a Manny Egbo, it could be Omir Fernandez or Alex Mule. You know, so like late in the week, sometimes he gets that communication. At the same time, though, at the same time, it makes it probably really enjoyable for him. And life could get easier in some ways when, when all of a sudden it's, it's you know, you might not be able to, maybe scoring goals and stuff, and all of a sudden, boom, it's a Barlow and Mati Jorgensen that are in. And that's got to be a, a good thing to have too when you get some guys that are coming from the first team with quality, with confidence, uh, with clarity to go in, in there. So I think it's a tough job, and he it, it continues to, to 
to do a great job. Life on the road continues for Chris Armis and the New York Red Bulls this Sunday in Minnesota. Coaches, always appreciate your time. Thanks for coming by, giving us a little bit. Anytime, Matt. Thank you. That's Red Bull head coach Chris Armis. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will spend some time with New York Red Bull 2 head coach John Wallenick. Download the New York Red Bulls app today to stay up to date on everything New York Red Bulls. Buy, share, and scan your tickets. Get all the latest news and content and listen to New York Red Bulls radio in English and Spanish. Then flip to arena mode to find concessions near your location and get real-time answers from the Red Bulls chatbot. Available now on iOS and Android or visit NewYorkRedBulls.com for more information. We are back here on the New York Red Bulls radio network. And as we just spent some time with head coach Chris Armis, we now change gears and looking forward to this one. Probably a long time coming. John Wallenick, who is the New York Red Bull 2 head coach, gives us some time here on our coaches show. You can join us on our TuneIn radio channel, the New York Red Bulls app, and at NewYorkRedBulls.com. Coach, as the MLS season is now up and going, as is the USL season up and going um, and crazy enough to say this is your sixth year as the New York Red Bull 2 head coach um, and it seems like every year one thing has been synonymous with the USL side that's been success yeah we feel like it's a great project um, we feel like it has a lot of importance to the club uh, and uh, you know I've been fortunate enough to have you know between Jesse and, and Chris now um, guys that really support what we do and give the guys that we bring in a chance to play and when you're willing to play young guys and -and up-and-coming guys that have put the work in then uh you know it makes my job a lot easier so we feel really good about it and you know we're we're still trying (laughs) trying to improve it and make it better and trying to figure out ways to to continue to get better and better players in and continue to move those guys forward in a good way and uh you know, we'll, we'll continue to put a, a big importance on it as far as the club goes. You know, at least uh, a couple times a year, I've, I've had the opportunity to cover some of the USL games. So you and I have talked um, at, at different times during the course of it. And I am always fascinated by one thing in terms of you coaching that team, because from game to game, you may not know what players you have, what players you don't have, what players need minutes for the first team, what players from the academy you might try to give an opportunity. So in an ever-changing roster, your job, I always think, is extremely difficult, but maybe you look at it as just part of the job. Well, it's kind of always been that way. So I guess, yeah, I do kind of look at it as it's part of the job. I think my answer to that usually is, um, again, we're pretty lucky in that we have a style of play and it's a you know pretty clear style and uh you know there's a lot of uh things that we implement with both teams that are really consistent and that consistency allows for the inconsistency of players so if if the roles are pretty much the same all the time at least from a uh, a general uh view um then it's it makes it easier for the individual, the player, to step in and step out. And it also makes it easier for the guys that are involved all the time to know, okay, the guy next to me might be a little different. Maybe I'm just learning his name. Hopefully it's not that uh, inconsistent. But, uh, you know, there's a a shared confidence there because, um, you know, we've kind of been pushing this thing in the same direction with the first team and the second team. Um, Also with that is the the first team guys and the first team staff has always been really welcoming of, of our staff and, you know, just in video and you know whether it's sitting in video sessions or uh, being around training or listening to them talk about how they're planning training 
Um, I know the process that they're going through and I know, you know, pretty up to date, the information that's going around. So, uh, that allows me to have that information and also, uh, be close to, you know, the ideas that they're working on and, and that, uh, uh, connection, so to speak, I think, uh, helps us at, at Rebel 2 to, to do the job that we need to do while adjusting uh, to different, uh, having different players. When you think of it, and you mentioned the relationship that you've had with Chris the last couple of years, with Jesse before him, um, how much conversation do you as the head coach of New York Red Bull 2, and whether it was Jesse or now Chris as the, as the New York Red Bull head coach, how much conversation on a, on a daily basis do you have in terms of what they're implementing, what you're implementing to make sure that it's all kind of fitting and, and putting all in the same place. It It's pretty close to daily. I mean, we, we structure our t- the timing of our trainings so that, you know, our staff can be around the first team and see what's going on and uh, understand, um, you know, where they're going week to week. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to change everything because the first team is doing one thing or playing a certain formation or playing a certain way. But it's it's good to have that information uh, day in day out. Now we both have schedules, and they don't always line up. Uh, they're not always perfectly aligned. So uh, certainly, there's days where where we're not getting that information. And there's days when we're not so connected. But uh, on a week to week basis, you know, three four days a week, we're having conversations, talking, um, and even sometimes it's just me being a fly on the wall, right? It's not necessarily me being involved, but just listening to what they're talking about and stuff, and and taking that on board. Uh, in a good way so again it, it takes us um, a special kind of staff so to speak to allow that because most places uh, are pretty tight with who they allow around and you know I've talked to other coaches with uh, second teams and you know some of them have connections but I think ours is probably I, I, from what I can tell I'm not in the building with these other teams but uh, from I can tell from what I've gathered from the conversations that I've had like we're definitely the closest and some of that's just had past experiences with with Chris and Jesse and you know we knew each other pretty well and uh, some of that's just the way we work um, but we're all fortunate that that uh, we get along in a good way and, and kind of mix in that way think about it from a playing standpoint you had such a great career so many of your years whether it was with the Metro Stars Red Bulls and and you can look and probably have some kind of memory of playing against Chris playing against C.J. Brown. Um, what do you remember about either one of those guys since they're more connected to Major League Soccer from, from your playing days? So I spent some time playing with them. So in 2000, uh, we were all in Chicago Fire together uh, and a little bit of 2001 uh, before I got traded. But, uh, you know, first with Chris, uh, the first thing I say about that is, you know, you know, if somebody were to ask me, you know, who's the top three guys that you played with as far as good guys, like that's Chris for sure. He's in that top three, no doubt, if not number one. Uh, you just know right away from him that he's a real guy, that he's honest, straightforward, but also caring, uh, relatable. Um, you know, he doesn't, you know, and at that time, back in 2000 is when he was captain of the national team. So uh, he had certainly enough reasons to, to be a little standoffish or, um, you know, not so interested in some some of the younger guys or, or the role-playing guys or whatever. So. Uh, I was really struck by that when, when, and I know him a little bit, right? Two New York guys, so, um, but he was a, you know, a little older than me, so uh, we didn't always play against each other then. And then obviously playing, and then CJ, CJ also a good guy. I mean that that team had a bunch of good guys on it. There was a good environment there, a good culture, and 
Um, you know, Bob Bradley set a good tone there. And CJ, great guy too. Um, you know, got along real well with him. You know, battled a little bit more with him on the on the training field and stuff like that. And, and then as the years went on uh, on the game field. Um, but when you when you played against those two guys, you knew you were in for a battle. You knew that they, you know, were going to be good, strong, honest players from minute one to minute 90. Hard workers, uh, intense guys. Um, you know, sure, I saw a couple times where they were fighting each other because they're both competitive and, you know, always trying to get the best out of each other. But, uh, you know, it was definitely, you know, if you look at that relationship between CJ and Chris, you know, it's one of the longstanding defensive midfielder and center back relationships that, you know, the league has seen. So uh, it's it's certainly a, a good benefit for, for the, the club to have both those guys here. That Chicago Fire team you're talking about won the U.S. Open Cup uh, in 2000. And then, you know, in, in your travels of Major League Soccer, going from Chicago back to the Metro Stars, Columbus, spent some time with the Galaxy, then uh, finishing with the Red Bulls. If you were to describe yourself as a player from your days in Major League Soccer, what would be the attributes from your playing days that you have brought into your coaching style and the coaching profession? Well, as a player, um, first, I would say, um, you know, I was very interested in getting better. I'd always wanted to find ways to get uh, improve myself. Um, you know, I was a little bit of a late bloomer. Uh, didn't go to big college uh, soccer program, kind of came into the league and then bounced up and down between first and second division. So I I always knew that, you know, for me to um, sustain my career, so to speak, or to get the things that I wanted out of my career, I I was going to have to push myself and and improve constantly. Um, And then, you know, transition from that, like, I I feel like my experiences set me up well uh, to understand, um, a second team player, right? I uh, got drafted seventh overall, but got waived from that team and um, played for a number of different coaches, number of different teams. I think I played for 12 different coaches, 10 different teams uh, professionally um, and battled my way through that. So I know the struggle of a, you know, a, a player that doesn't get the big contract right away or right into the first team. I know that struggle. So I think that those experiences that I had, uh, arm me uh, to be able to um, understand uh, what a, a player out of college or out of high school is dealing with when they're not quite where they want to be yet and you know they, they might be getting the playing time they might not they may be struggling a little bit with the frustrations of going from playing all the time and always being in the starting lineup to now all of a sudden not being in the starting lineup and, and I know that well so um, I think my perspective as a player um, the way I thought about things and my experiences um, as a professional player, I think are two things that really set me up well for success in, in the role that I'm in now. John Wallenick joining us here on our Coaches Show on the New York Red Bulls Radio Network. Um, Coach, as as you get this 2020 season up and going, um, I know the loss last week against Tampa Bay, always disappointing to lose one at home, Hartford this week. Um, but again, thinking of the, the roster, the way that it's constructed right now, um, what, what's the outlook maybe for this season with, uh, again, the changing roster, players up, players down, and probably for the first couple of weeks, just maybe trying to figure things out a little bit. Yeah, first I'd say it's um, expectations are high. Uh, we're we're really driven with the second team to to make sure that we're doing all the things that we can to be a good team because we think good teams develop good players. So um, 
we're going to be competitive. Uh, we're going to push the group as much as we possibly can. And obviously, it, it, it sure is a challenge knowing what first-team guys are going to be available, um, what academy guys uh, start to develop and, and can be used consistently like, like uh, JMI was last year. So um, there's always a certain question there, but we feel like we've done a good job. We've gotten better with uh, how we identify and, and bring in players, and um, I think there's been a bit of consistency there as far as pulling in the right guys. Um, we feel that way again. We feel like we have some talent. Um, you know, obviously in the first game we, we stumble a bit, uh, although I thought we played well. Um, you know, if you look at our history, the first game we've had a lot of success. And this might be our first loss in the first game, but it's not like we had a ton of wins. Most of the time we end up tying. Um, so we feel like, you know, we have the makings of, of what could be a really good group. And then more importantly, um, obviously that's important, but more importantly, I think we have some individuals that, that can really uh, have some high potential, high ceilings that hopefully we can put a lot of work into and start to mold into to first team guys and, and make sure that we're helping Chris and his ultimate goal to, to win and, and to win championships. A couple more before we wrap up with, uh, with John, you think back to the 2016 season that, that is obviously a memorable year with the team winning the championship at USL at Red Bull arena. Um, I'm sure there's been so many good moments in your time as the head coach of New York Red Bull too, but that, that has to be the highlight, right? When you think back at, at your time here so far. Yeah, of course. I mean, that, that was a first of all, that was a fun year. It was an exciting year. Um, we just seemed to be, you know, really flying in every game and rarely had games where we weren't uh, really sharp and, and playing really well. Obviously, we lose, I think we lost three games that year. Um, and a couple of those I know were, were close ones. They're, you know, we certainly didn't play perfect all the time, but. Um, then within that group, we knew we had some really high talented players. Obviously, Tyler Adams was a big part of that group. Uh, we all know where, where he's at now. And uh, Aaron Long, obviously, was, was a big part of that group. Um, you know, we had Ryan Mir in goal, so it's great to see, uh, you know, Ryan uh, now having an opportunity with the first team. So, um, you know, it's it, it was a great group. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and there was a lot of momentum in that year as, as we started to win games and play well and, and put in good performances and score a whole bunch of goals. Um, but, I, you know, in, in my job, it's funny because, you know, we're all competitive and we all want to win and the wins are always fun. And obviously winning a championship is exciting and always remember it. But I think the thing that I remember more is, is just, you know, the individuals that uh, have come through our group and now watching them, you know, on a Tuesday in the afternoon playing Champions League or something like that, you know, those or to see those guys play with the U.S. national team. And then obviously, you know, seeing those guys like Florian Velo play with the first team and, and have so much success. So, you know, as as, as exciting as, as that was, you know, I think I do get more uh, enjoyment uh, and maybe it's more satisfaction, I guess, but uh, just seeing those guys be able to um, start to live out their, their dreams, so to speak, uh, is probably more fulfilling. Coaches always remember losses, don't they? 23-3-4 was your record. You said, I think we lost three games during that course of the year, and that's exactly what you lost, uh, but an amazing season. Um, Coach, native of Staten Island, went to college locally, played with Metro Stars, Red Bulls, now back coaching essentially with your hometown club. Um, when I go through all that, what's the first thing that that makes you think? 
that you're still connected to the team that you're most known for during your playing days in Major League Soccer, and you're still a local guy? Fortunate. That just makes me think that I'm lucky. Um, it's not like uh, I was sitting here picking and choosing all these things. It's just kind of the way things went. Um, I know that it doesn't work that way for most people, so I, I try to make sure that I remember that I'm really lucky in that sense. Um, you know, as a player, I always seem to have more success playing playing for this club. Um, I don't know exactly why that is. Some, sometimes maybe it's a little home cooking or just uh, the area, whatever it is, just a bit more slight better comfort level. Um, and then, you know, having that be able to play most of my career with, with New York and um, to finish it with Red Bull and all the things that have changed over the years, obviously really fortunate to be a part of that. And then uh, for them to uh, consider me valuable enough to keep around and do two years with the academy and then two years with the first team. Um, you know, I work hard and I, I don't think it was handed to me or anything like that. And uh, I think uh, I, I have something to offer and I, I certainly uh, feel that I'm valuable to the club. But I know that uh, there are a lot of guys that work hard. There are a lot of people in, in the business that are striving to to do the best they can and have are really smart or really clever about the way they, they do their jobs but so I, I know that there's there's a bit of luck there and uh you know i'm certainly fortunate to to be the beneficiary of that last one i'm going to put you on the spot with this one uh 2020 will be known as the year of the black jersey for both teams who's got the better looking one is it new york red bulls or is it new york red bull too <laughs> Ah, it's a good question. Um, I, I, you know, it could be a little bit of bias, but I, I think the Rebel Two jersey is a little more interesting. Um, you know, we're we're probably a little more f- uh, free to to do as we please with our jersey and don't have as many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. Um, they're I I I like them both. I, I think they're both um, an interesting take and. Uh, but I do uh, have a little bit of a bias towards towards our, our black jersey. Coach, appreciate you coming on, giving us some time. New York Red Bull 2 back at home on March 13th, couple of uh, a day or so from now um, at MSU Soccer Park. There's a couple more home games coming up. You can check out the schedule. Um, I know nothing but success will come your way again this season and, and can't wait to do this and sit down and talk about it during uh, the course of the season if we have the opportunity to do it. You've always been um, nothing but fantastic for me to deal with, and I appreciate you coming by giving us some time here today. Yeah, great being here. Awesome. Always uh, interested in coming back. So, great. New York Red Bull 2, March 13th. Of course, New York Red Bull on the road this weekend in Minnesota. For more information, go to NewYorkRedBulls.com. We thank John Wallenick for coming by. Chris Armis in our first segment. I'm Matt Harmon. We sign off here from the New York Red Bulls Radio Network. Thanks, as always, for listening to our coaches show. We'll be right back.